the Slaughter and May podcast. Hello. My name is Ollie Moyer. I'm a partner in the Infrastructure, Energy and Natural Resources team here at Slaughter and May. I'm here today with my colleague Catherine Emmett, a PSL counsel in the team, to discuss the opportunities for low carbon hydrogen in the UK. Our team are currently working on both green and blue hydrogen projects in the UK and internationally. However, today's discussion is focused on new build hydrogen production in the UK and specifically what the government is doing to help make these projects investable. Catherine, hydrogen is an extremely hot topic at the moment. It seems we're constantly talking about hydrogen with so many of our clients. And I struggle to think of a client who isn't interested to some degree in the future of the hydrogen economy. Yeah, and what makes this topic so fascinating is its relevance to almost every sector of the economy. Activity in this space is driven by decarbonisation policy, but from a UK perspective, not only does low carbon hydrogen have the potential to help meet UK emission reduction goals, but also the hope is that it will assist the UK's energy security objectives too. So the UK recently doubled its ambition for low carbon hydrogen and is now aiming for 10 gigawatts of low carbon hydrogen capacity by 2030. This was announced as part of its British energy security strategy. In part, this is a response to the conflict in Ukraine and also the recognition that we need to diversify our energy sources as well as to decarbonise them. But also, since the hydrogen strategy was originally published in August 2021, there's been this realisation of the contribution that electrolytic hydrogen might make to the UK energy mix. So half of this 10 gigawatt target is expected to come from electrolytic hydrogen using surplus renewable power. In the short term, the aim is for one gigawatt of electrolytic hydrogen to be in construction or operational by 2025. Yes, and you mentioned electrolytic hydrogen, but we should of course emphasise that the UK plans to support a variety of hydrogen production methods, including both blue hydrogen, produced from methane gas using carbon capture and storage, but perhaps also biomass gasification with CCS. An allocation process is already underway to provide support to hydrogen production with CCS, and we'll touch on that more later. And this very notably contrasts with the approach in many EU member states where green hydrogen produced by electrolysis using renewable electricity is the main or sole focus. These range of production methods, often referred by reference to different colours of hydrogen, are all being supported, provided these contribute to the UK's net zero target. But because hydrogen molecules are fungible, the government needs to define the level of emissions associated with low carbon hydrogen production in order to distinguish it from existing grey hydrogen production methods. In the UK, this is being done via the introduction of a low carbon hydrogen standard. Yeah, that's right, Ollie. The UK standard will be a single low carbon label applied at the point of production to all UK production methods that meet the required emissions threshold of 20 grams CO2 equivalent per megajoule using the lower heating value. Low carbon hydrogen projects and businesses seeking grants from the Net Zero Hydrogen Fund or revenue support under the hydrogen business model are required to comply with the standard in order to secure that support. And although the standard will be reviewed periodically starting in 2023, the level of the standard will be grandfathered. So any future changes wouldn't apply retrospectively to support that had already been awarded. Initially, the low carbon hydrogen standard only applies to UK production, but the government also intends 
that the standard be developed into a certification or guarantee of origin scheme by 2025, meaning that it may apply to imports and exports also in future. And without getting too technical, it's worth pointing out that the variety of production methods inevitably means there are different requirements to measure emissions, and so to determine whether the standard is met or not. For example, the standard places requirements on the renewable electricity used in green hydrogen production. These, of course, aren't applicable to blue hydrogen, which is produced from reformation of natural gas. Now, you may think that renewable electricity means the hydrogen will necessarily be low carbon, but it's not quite that straightforward. The wind's not always blowing and the sun's not always shining. But the guidance published recently says that there must be a temporal correlation between the renewable electricity and the hydrogen production. If an electrolytic hydrogen production plant uses electricity that is not produced on site, but is instead procured under a corporate power purchase agreement, it must, amongst other things, show a temporal correlation between the renewable energy generated and the hydrogen produced. And essentially, there needs to be metering data linking the low carbon generator and hydrogen production facility in every 30 minute settlement period. And if that link can't be established, the national grid average emissions intensity will be used which of course means that whether the electricity is low carbon depends on the electricity generation mix at that time. Yeah, I can see that this also adds operational complexity for the production plant. The intermittency of many renewable sources of electricity, as you say, like wind and solar, uh, is likely to mean that some grid electricity or stored electricity may be needed to provide the required utilisation profile for the electrolyzer. As I understand it, there's a similar debate ongoing at the EU level as well, uh, in particular in relation to the requirements of the recast renewable energy directive for a renewable hydrogen standard. The key takeaway here is that compliance with the low carbon hydrogen standard is going to need to be considered on a project by project basis, particularly as meeting the standard for any volume of hydrogen is key to accessing the support in the UK on an ongoing basis. Indeed. Let's turn now to the package of support for new build hydrogen production you mentioned. That includes grants and support from a hydrogen business model. I think it's fair to say the hydrogen business model has generated a lot of interest, so we will focus there. But before we do, we should mention there are numerous grant funding schemes available, such as the Industrial Fuel Switching and the Industrial Energy Transformation Fund. And most recently, the government has launched the £240 million net zero hydrogen fund, which can provide DEVEX and CAPEX support for hydrogen production for both green and blue projects. And we're actively working with clients seeking support for their early stage projects. The hydrogen business model, on the other hand, is essentially a form of revenue support for new build projects, which it is hoped will make low carbon hydrogen production in the UK viable, investable, and that crucial word, bankable. Yes, it's intended to provide investor certainty and to appeal to capital with a risk appetite to invest in early opportunities in the UK hydrogen market. I should also mention that if a project is a retrofit of an existing hydrogen production plant, it will be supported, but under a, an industrial carbon capture contract, which is the subject of an entirely different podcast. What's proposed for new build plant is a contract for difference uh, called a low carbon hydrogen agreement based on the CFD for renewables. It's essentially a private contract topping up the agreed sales price 
the hydrogen to a negotiated strike price for a period between 10 and 15 years. The duration of support is, is one of the things still under review. The CFD structure allows for the subsidy level to adjust as the market matures, so that if the sales price, i.e. the reference price, were to rise above the strike price during the contract term, then the producer would make a payment back to the contract counterparty. Hydrogen is already used and marketed in a number of sectors, but currently these sectors are using grey, uh, carbon-intensive hydrogen. The business model will help low-carbon hydrogen compete with this higher-emission hydrogen. It will also encourage fuel switching away from natural gas and in favour of low-carbon hydrogen. At a competitive price with the counterfactual fuel, the expectation is demand will develop for low-carbon hydrogen across a variety of end-use applications, including heavy industry, heat, power and transport. Yes, and the hydrogen business model is particularly interesting in, in my view because of the decision the government has taken on the reference price. Now, the difficulty policymakers had in establishing the reference price is that, unlike for electricity with the renewable CFD, there's no single market price for hydrogen as yet. There's no liquid traded market and there will not be for some time. And until one develops, the government has decided that the reference price will be the achieved sales price negotiated by the producer with a floor of the natural gas price. And that floor price is intended to avoid producers gaming it and agreeing on artificially low sales prices, knowing they'll be able to recover the difference via this mechanic. The gas price has been selected as that floor because this will be the fuel that is in most cases being displaced by the low carbon hydrogen, i.e. the counterfactual fuel. Yes, and another tool proposed to prevent gaming is a price discovery mechanism. This is to enable the true price of hydrogen to emerge over time. It's described, and I quote, as an amount linked to the increment by which the reference price exceeds the price floor for each unit of hydrogen sold. There's not a lot of detail there, but from what's been published, this effectively looks like a bonus payment where the producer achieves a higher price than the natural gas floor price. The idea is this will incentivize hydrogen producers to negotiate a higher sales price, reducing the difference payment and so minimising the subsidy. However, government don't want to overpay, so they're also considering whether to cap this reward if the sales price exceeds a certain level to ensure hydrogen remains affordable for off-takers and to protect the government from oversubsidy. Also crucial and particularly relevant in these times of high inflation is that the strike price will be indexed. The indexation regime, however, varies depending on whether the facility is CCS enabled, in part indexed to natural gas prices and CPI, or electrolytic indexed to CPI as with the renewable CFD. There are also proposals to help mitigate volume risk. It's no good getting revenue support for what you sell if you can hardly sell any of what you're producing. So the government will support volume risk by using a sliding scale payment system whereby it will pay a higher level of support in the event of low offtake volumes, with a level of price support tapering off as volumes increase. And this is particularly important because with hydrogen we're dealing with a commodity where there is currently neither meaningful supply nor wide-scale demand. The demand also needs to be stimulated and cannot be guaranteed. However, where offtake volumes fall to zero, no payments will be made. My reading of the government thinking on this is that they simply can't justify a subsidy if no hydrogen is actually being produced whatsoever. You can imagine the headlines. 
but this does of course pose a risk to projects. And again, we don't have a lot of detail about how this will operate in practice yet, and it obviously raises a number of questions. So I think the takeaway is that although investors will be familiar with the CFD model, there are a number of elements, like the price discovery mechanism and the volume support, which are novel. So developers and investors will want to consider these carefully as and when more information is available. Yeah, absolutely. And from the discussions we're having and the activity we're seeing, there is a lot of interest in the low carbon hydrogen agreement. As we've mentioned, the process is already underway to allocate support, but the process depends on the production method. So whether it involves CCS enabled or electrolytic hydrogen production. For new build hydrogen production using CCS, initial projects have already applied for support under the CCUS cluster sequencing program and a number of eligible projects have been identified to enter into negotiations. Contracts are expected to be awarded from Q2 2023. New build electrolytic hydrogen is following a different process. Annual allocation rounds are expected, with the first round applications opening in July 2022, uh, and contracts expected to be awarded by December 2023. Now, the reason for this split, split process is twofold. Firstly, CCS-enabled hydrogen production needs to be integrated into the government's CCUS programme so that it can be coordinated with the development of carbon transport and storage networks. And secondly, the characteristics and costs of electrolytic and CCS-enabled hydrogen are very different, so it wouldn't be appropriate for them to compete with each other for support, particularly not at this stage of maturity. And in the longer term, the government will transition to competitive allocation by 2025, but even then, it's likely to include different technology pots to recognise those different production methods. Thanks, Catherine. A key issue with hydrogen projects of any colour will be project-on-project project risks or cross-chain risks. And these are issues of codependency between related projects. So, for example, for blue hydrogen using CCS, Developers of the hydrogen production plant are, of course, reliant on the timely construction of the carbon transport and storage network and on its continued availability once operational. Surprisingly, there's still no decision being taken on how to manage carbon transport and storage network risks in the low carbon hydrogen agreement draft heads of terms. Yeah, in relation to delays to construction and commissioning of the carbon transport and storage network, I struggle to see how the government could justify a different approach compared to the proposals for industrial carbon capture users. Under the CCUS business model for industrial carbon capture plant, there's a day-for-day -day extension of key dates such as the long-to-stop date for commissioning of the carbon capture plant in the event of delays to commissioning of the transport and storage network if these are not caused by the capture project. And once commissioned, importantly for the hydrogen producer, any unavailability of the carbon TNS network will also impact the quality of the hydrogen produced in that it will not meet the low carbon hydrogen standard. This means that there will be no support payment payable under the low carbon hydrogen agreement. And I note that the government are also considering a termination event for off-spec hydrogen. On top of consequences under the government support contract, this may also result in a breach under the producer's offtake arrangements for the low carbon hydrogen. Finally, if the carbon transport and storage network continues to be unavailable, the government is also considering including a termination right, which would mean that the contract counterparty would have a right to terminate for prolonged continuous unavailability of the carbon TNS network. But the period and consequences of termination are still to be determined.
It's interesting that under the industrial carbon capture plant contract terms, although compensation for certain unavoidable costs will be available when the carbon transport and storage network suffers an unplanned outage, there won't be any compensation for the loss of value or marketability of any product from the industrial facility. It will be interesting to see whether the same approach is taken in relation to hydrogen production as well. Indeed, these are key issues which developers and investors will need to understand in the context of their particular project, and more progress will clearly need to be made on these issues. And just picking up on the termination right for off-spec hydrogen point, Ollie, it's worth highlighting that we've been talking about blue, but green hydrogen production faces a similar quality risk if it fails to meet the low carbon hydrogen standard for any given period of time. Another aspect which clients are considering is the offtake. The hydrogen produced will need to be transported to market, and unlike the carbon transport and storage networks, there's currently no plan for a centralised UK hydrogen network. The government has indicated that small-scale transport and storage, like above-ground tanks and pipelines linking a production project to a local offtaker, are likely to be covered by the hydrogen business model support, but these costs are expected to be assessed on a case-by-case basis. But in relation to larger scale networks, as part of the British energy security strategy Catherine mentioned earlier, the government has now committed to designing by 2025 a new business model to support hydrogen transport and storage infrastructure. This is, however, subject to the findings of a review of the UK's hydrogen transport and infrastructure requirements that is currently ongoing. And the current draft heads of terms simply don't factor this in, but this might be considered in a future draft. Yes, offtake strategies more generally will be a key consideration. Clearly, an investable offtake strategy is essential for a hydrogen production plant, but there are some restrictions in the low carbon hydrogen heads of terms in relation to offtake that will be important not to fall foul of. Firstly, the draft heads of terms specify that hydrogen sold for blending into the gas grid won't qualify for support, but that doesn't mean that the hydrogen can't be sold to those offtakers. Um, if it makes economic sense. It simply won't qualify for the difference payment we discussed earlier. Secondly, hydrogen sold for export won't be supported either, but it's unclear in the heads of terms whether the hydrogen production plant will be required to verify that any offtaker it sells its hydrogen to is then not on-selling for export and and how far the onward supply chain will be scrutinised. And finally, the good news is that at the moment, Government are permitting sales to producers or affiliates for self-consumption and also to feedstock users, so where hydrogen is used to produce sustainable aviation fuel or green ammonia, for example. But perhaps this will have some adjustment to make sure that the government's not overpaying. And finally, a key question is always, where does the money come from to make payments under the Low Carbon Hydrogen Agreement? particularly in the context of today's high energy prices and pressure on consumers. The government's position appears to be initially funding this from a specific tax revenue funding envelope. £100 million has been identified and earmarked for electrolytic hydrogen contracts in 2023, and a further funding envelope will be announced later in 2022, which will enable the award of the first CCS-enabled hydrogen projects, along with industrial carbon capture plant. In the longer term, the government's intention is that all revenue support for hydrogen production will be funded from a consumer levy from 2025 at the latest. A levy is however expected to need primary legislation, and the design of the levy will be subject to further consultation, 
and will need to be designed to ensure affordability of consumer energy bills. This is likely to form part of a wider conversation on supplier levies and the energy supply market more generally. Thank you, Catherine. We've certainly covered a significant amount of ground, albeit there is an awful lot more detail behind all of this. Yeah, thanks to you too, Ollie. Please do also check out our CCUS Focus podcast. That's available on the SM podcast series on our website and wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. For more information on this topic or to hear our other podcasts, please visit www.slaughterandmay.com. You can also subscribe to the Slaughter and May podcast on iTunes or Google Play.